discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. Welcome to The Vegan Vanguard. It is Mexi. And today we have an amazing talk that I had with my friend and comrade here in Ontario. They are a YouTuber, Sadlord777, and they make fantastic videos. They also make fantastic zines. So definitely go check them out. But we had a really fantastic conversation about spirituality and leftism and the import of spirituality in political and community organizing and how it has been important for each of us and kind of shaped our journeys. We also talk a lot about grappling with tradition, um, especially in the context of, you know, whiteness and being a settler here on Turtle Island and not really being connected necessarily to our ancestral traditions, but also still having that ancestral accountability that we need to reckon with as settlers here uh, again on Turtle Island. So I, I just thought it was such a fantastic conversation. Settler 777 is so brilliant and interesting and amazing. And we wanted to have this conversation because these are topics that we feel are not really broached much on the left. Um, there's kind of, you know, a real hard line drawn between the the material and the immaterial, the political and anything that's uh, spiritual, emotional, or, or anything else like that. And as we talk about in the discussion, uh, we think it's largely a false dichotomy um, and that these are, these are really important topics to discuss too. So before we get into it, I would like to thank the new patrons so thank you so much to Jill Mickelson and Eric Daniels. This is a donor-funded show, so if you would like to become a sustaining member, you can go to patreon.com slash veganvanguard or give us a one-time donation via PayPal on our website, which is veganvanguardpodcast.com. Sharing the episodes with friends and family also goes a long way, as does giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes or, or any other podcast app that you listen to us on. That really goes a long way. So thank you to everyone who has done that. And for just $2 per month, you can get access to the Total Liberation Discord server that I co-host with Catherine and Mad Blender. And we have just a really awesome community over there. And we do bi-monthly political chats that you can join in on. So... Yeah, check it out. But without further ado, let's get into this discussion. Hello, so uh, my name is Lane and my channel is Sadlord777, um, and I am a YouTuber who's been making videos on a bunch of different topics for for um, a number of years. 
I originally started out as like a trans tube channel and just like making videos about gender identity and trans issues and then transitioned into making videos about anti-fascism and then transitioned into making videos about community organizing and spirituality. So right now I make videos about a bunch of different things that are kind of um, both oriented around community organizing and actual like tactics and strategies for that and making videos about spirituality and personal development and cultural reconnection and things of that nature. Um, I am just like to position myself, I'm a white trans person. I'm a settler living in um, traditional Haudenosaunee territory. And I am a person of, um, I guess, Celtic and Anglo-Saxon descent, like Scots and English and Irish descent. And that is like where I'm coming at this conversation from. <laughs> Awesome. Please check out Sadler777. Their, uh, their channel is amazing. So if you are watching this on Sadler's channel, hi, I am Mexi and I have a YouTube channel here called Mexi, M-E-X-I-E. I also have a podcast, which is The Vegan Vanguards. And I, I, I actually started my channel as a vegan channel, but I've long since uh, deleted those, those videos. I still do make you know, animal liberation content um, or content oriented around uh, total liberation. So animal and human liberation, um, ecology, decolonization, anti-capitalism, all of that good stuff. I am also a settler. I am living in the traditional territories of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, the Ojibwe, the Wendat peoples, and the Mississaugas of the New Credit. Um, and I, you know, I've I've been a spiritual person for quite a long time, but um, I guess we'll get into it today. That um, I don't know. I ha I haven't felt super comfortable or confident talking about it. All publicly, um, mostly because of you know white women, I guess, appropriating everything and being terrible. Um, but yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. So I guess why don't we start off with talking about why spirituality is important, um, why it's important to you and your political organizing, and maybe why you think it's um, important in general when it comes to political and community organizing. Um, yeah, so for me, like my kind of entry point to things is like, I was actually raised in a house that was pretty atheist and almost like leaning towards some like paganism stuff, but definitely like my immediate family was pretty opposed to Christianity and pretty opposed to like organized religion in every way. Um, not like militantly, but you know, they had atheist politics and opinions. And that was kind of the environment in which I was raised. So I actually joined the Anglican church a few years ago, maybe four years ago, don't quote me on that. Um, and my reason for getting involved with the church was that I, I started from a place of doing anarchist organizing. So I was really involved in anti-fascism in Toronto, um, anti-racist solidarity organizing, trans liberation organizing and climate justice. And from that standpoint, like I wound up having some interactions with faith community organizers where I realized that they just like had something like people who were like organized, organizing from a faith basis just seemed to like have some level of like emotional and spiritual security that I really did not have at the time. And I was um, 
really, really struggling with being able to stay grounded when I was entering a new political environment that was so stressful and so combative. Like, I really think I had some, oh, um, I have to plug my computer in. No worries. Anyway, so getting back to it, I, I had some experiences that were pretty difficult to deal with and pretty traumatic when I got into like direct action style organizing. And I felt just extremely unmoored and like ungrounded in the kind of work that I was doing, especially because to be honest, like activist communities can be like pretty toxic in and of themselves and really feeling that kind of like, I don't know, I guess competitiveness and adversarialness and disposability and things like that that can really take root on the left as they can in any human space. Um, I'm definitely not trying to position Christian community as being perfect either, but it really like to, to look in on a community that I feel like is more grounded in values than ideology, I think was really a big shift for me. And then also like getting into conversations around like my entry point to politics was kind of through transliteration and then shifting my focus to anti-fascism, anti-racism, and ultimately um, decolonial solidarity, which is kind of the focus of my organizing at this point. Um, yeah, just like realizing how um, atheistic the left was and almost like militantly atheistic and how there were a lot of communities of faith who were doing organizing better than than secular leftist organizers were doing. Like I had a friend who said to me, like, there are some churches that do anarchism better than anarchists. Mm -hmm. And because they have resources, they have soup kitchens, they have drop-in centers, they have networks of support, um, like churches. I'm not saying this of every church, but I'm saying of like some like radical and left-leaning churches really look after their membership and like check in on each other and like don't have that kind of like disposability energy to them um and so that was really inspiring to me and then when i started to really build my consciousness as a settler and like learning about what it means to be a settler what it means to be living on indigenous land what it means to be complicit in colonization um i kind of had this political shift where i was like i am implicated in the church whether or not i want to be and like there's a lot of ancestral accountability that needs to happen and that was kind of the focus or that was a motivating factor that also kind of moved me towards involvement in the church of like i am a person and like based on my position in the world i am prioritized by the church like my existence here in canada was facilitated by the church whether i like opt into participation in that or identify with that or not um, my existence is still deeply tied up and my ancestry and my history is deeply tied up with the history of the church. And so I realized that I like separately from that realization also realized that I really, really needed some spiritual grounding in my life. And through kind of exploring different things, like I um, did some reading in Tibetan Buddhism and some just kind of like a mishmash of spiritual content and kind of came across this idea that like 
there's a lot of different paths to the same conclusion. Like there's a lot of different modes through which to reach spiritual liberation or enlightenment or whatever you feel like calling it. But the important thing is to stick to a path, like not kind of have this like grab bag mentality that we kind of have in the West, but to be able to commit to a tradition where you are committed to and open to struggling with that and like embracing the full complicated reality of it rather than just like picking what feels nice from a bunch of different things. And so I felt really pulled towards wanting to at least explore a relationship to Christianity and a relationship to the church, both for those spiritual reasons and political reasons. And when I first attended my church in Toronto, which is a very, very radical left-leaning church that has lots of queer and trans members. And um, it's, a, it's a very, very mixed race congregation as well, which is not very common. Um, I had such a profound experience there and such a profound kind of reaction to that community, like a community that was based on acceptance and forgiveness and a shared political and spiritual and moral ethos that I became very involved in that. Like, I feel like faith-based organizing kind of became the center of my organizing after that. Um, which is not to say that that is like the be all and end all of my spiritual reality, because I'm also, I feel like I just feel very, very called towards ancestral work and very, very called towards decolonial solidarity. And for me, that looks like being involved with and being accountable for the actions of the Anglican church and the community around the Anglican church. But I am also really deeply involved in exploration of um, Celtic traditions and pre-Christian traditions from the British Isles, which is my ancestry as well, like going back before Christianity. And my, my relationship to Christianity is definitely not simple, but I feel like since I've made that move towards faith-based organizing, I have had just a number of really deep shifts in myself uh, around my thinking, around how I participate in politics. And I think the biggest thing has just been like making the shift from like political ideology to values, because I feel like when I was an anarchist and I was like an atheistic militant anarchist, which I still am kind of a militant anarchist, but I kind of had this perspective of like, you know, screw anybody else of any other political ideology. I only organize with anarchists and I only organize with anarchists who have this specific anarchist identity. And I came to realize, like I was so disappointed in people and in community when I was organizing in that way where I needed other people to call themselves anarchists. Um, like that really be became incredibly unproductive and I became incredibly disappointed in a lot of the people I met and interactions that I had, which is not to say anything about anarchists, but it's just to say that you don't necessarily have similar values or ethics just because you have a shared political ideology. Mm -hmm. And I found that I would much rather organize pe with people that shared my values, regardless of what their leftist inclination was, whether they were even openly a leftist or a closeted leftist or um, something like that. Like I've even organized with liberals depending on what the thing is. And as long as people are like really passionate and compassionate and um, you know, share my priorities, that is so much more important to me than how a person identifies or anything like that.
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you said that um, just the difference between values and ideology, because I think that ties into a lot of what I've been thinking about in terms of this really false dichotomy that we draw between the material, the immaterial, the spiritual, political, um, especially as you said in left in left wing spaces that can be very militantly atheistic or even you know just anti spiritual, anti anything immaterial, right? Um, and I think that it's really interesting to me because um, I mean I, again I think that's a, a completely false dichotomy. I think the spiritual is always political for a number of reasons, but I think that you know, spirituality and, and worldview and the way that we understand ourselves, the world and others um, and how all those things interact, um, you know, that is always political. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like when people who support the status quo, um, but don't think that they have a political ideology. And it's like, no, you do have an ideology. It's capitalist. You're just not aware of it because it's so normalized that it, it's like pure ideology. You're not able to see it. I, I feel, yeah, I feel like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I almost feel the same way about spirituality where it's like, I think there are a lot of people and, and leftists um, uh, as well that, you know, they, they might not think that they have a spiritual practice or that they have a spiritual identity or worldview. Um, but, um, you know, I think that 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 in itself is is kind of a, a spiritual worldview, right? Um, I think that in the West um, and especially in capitalist countries, we do have this broader kind of spiritual worldview. Um, and in that it is very, you know, humans are separate from nature, right? Um, humans have dominion over nature and development of nature, you know, is, is what we should be doing. Um, there's kind of these baked in ideas of hierarchy and anthropocentrism um, and ideas that our stories as humans are the most important stories and they just happen on this backdrop of, of our other relations. Um, and that, you know, like nature is resource and we don't have a, a broader understanding of our relationship or even our, our our place within the broader universe, right? It can be very um, individualistic and kind of self-centered and, um, you know, we, we lose sight of, of so much. So anyway, I hope this is kind of making sense, this idea that, you know, um, it's kind of like the pure ideology of spirituality where I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you do have a worldview um, and it is, it, it is um, you know, implicated by broader spiritual beliefs that you might not even be aware that you have. And, and I think that a good example of this, I always shout out Robin Wall Kimmerer, but, you know, Robin Wall Kimmerer shout out. Um, in Braiding Sweetgrass, she talks about the difference between um, Sky Woman's story and the story of Eve. But I thought that the way that she was talking about the way that we interpret that societally um, and the implications that has for the way that we behave was really powerful in terms of like the Sky Woman story really engendering an ethic um, and a behavior and, you know, a way of moving through the world that was based around reciprocity. And then, um, you know, the, the way that we interpret a lot of, especially how it's been interpreted in kind of right wing spaces, but the way that we've interpreted a lot of kind of, um, you know, Western Christian values uh, have been, you know, stretched or, you know, co-opted by capital and, and kind of hierarchy and things like that. Um, and so I just think that, yeah, the way that we understand society like the way that we have this broader spiritual worldview affects the way that we behave and that's always going to be political um and so um yeah i think that's also partly why and i've talked about this before that i think a lot of leftist vision for the future um 
remains kind of Eurocentric or remains uh, in a lot of ways, like we can end up replicating a lot of these same systems in our organizing because we don't have that cohesive worldview. Like we might understand implicitly that a lot of the discourses that go along with this kind of like settler colonial capitalist worldview are messed up, but without mm -hmm. having any kind of broader, more, more cohesive practice or, you know, spiritual vision or a set of values maybe it's just the values like without having that more cohesive kind of practice um mm. we're not really able to fully you know mount a, a resistance to that you know like from like <laughs> i hope this is making sense <laughs> yeah, no I <laughs> okay um and like i totally agree i just want to say because you were talking about the difference between the story of eve and the story of sky woman that mm -hmm. is so similar actually to i just reached over to grab this book um the truth about stories by thomas king um is this book i'm reading right now i'm about halfway through and my uh partner really highly recommended it um and it says the same thing like it's talking about basically how stories are all we are like our narratives are all we are our creation stories are all we are and talks about the differences between indigenous creation stories, specifically Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe creation stories and biblical creation stories. Um, and speaking like as a Christian or a Christian adjacent person, um, I, uh, I, I also want to say that I am deeply critical of the church. Like I'm deeply <laughs> critical of Christianity. I'm deeply critical of the impact that Christianity has had on um, the global globe the world um like and the people upon it and the land um and while i like support people who are like in the process of trying to like transmute and reclaim christianity to be something that is spiritually healthy i recognize that the majority of christianity is not the majority of manifestations of christianity are not um healthy or earth honoring and i think that yeah, the creation story really is something that I've struggled with in that. And I think it's important to note that the Christian or actually the Jewish creation story um, that became also the Christian creation story um, is something that was radical for its time or radical for its political context, because that was coming out of the creation story of Babylon, which was basically that God, not God, but different gods. I'm not an expert in Babylonian history, but a god like invented the city of Babylon and then humans were invented to serve in that city. And then outside of that city was kind of this like godless hellscape. And so the idea that God had invented the entire world and that every person upon the earth was invented by God, like that was a more inclusive creation story than what, the, the, what they were coming from. So I do think that things have to kind of be taken into context like that because I don't want to disparage um, like Jewish thought or even early Christian thought when we talk about the implications that this has had since mm -hmm. then. Um, but a lot of people, yeah, like I totally agree with you. Everybody has a spiritual practice or belief system. Everybody has a worldview or cosmology, whether they acknowledge that or not. And I actually made a video about this, not to like plug other videos on my channel, but my video, I think it was called The Necessity of Sacredness. Like, like went into analyzing that, like, what are the things, like, what does it mean to hold something sacred? And what are the things that are held sacred in capitalist society? Um, which is pretty much like we have spiritual or almost religious rituals around capital consumption. Um, and like we, we venerate, like spiritually and ideologically venerate wealth. Um, 
and that that is a form of spiritual practice, whether we acknowledge it or not. And I think that another issue with kind of Western atheism is that it is so influenced by Christian hegemony um, mm-hmm. in a way that's not fully acknowledged a lot of the time, because like I will freely admit that I think that the Bible is largely anthropocentric. Um, like the idea of human dominion over the land and things like that. Like, yes, that can be interpreted and has been interpreted in a variety of healthier ways, but the majority of how that theology has been used and expounded upon um, has been very, very harmful. And then the entire kind of belief system of, of Western atheism and scientism is built on this idea of anthropocentrism, which really comes out of biblical thinking. And so like that's not the idea that humans are the most important thing in the world is not an objective fact it's an ideology it's a spiritual belief Mm. um and yeah i think that leftists could really um like a lot of leftists could really do to analyze their belief system along those lines Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah i feel like there was something else you said that i wanted to respond to but my brain is (laughs) yeah no worries yeah no I think that's exactly right because um and again not this is also not to you know shit on atheism or whatnot um but just yeah this this idea that's I think a lot of leftists have that spirituality you know there's no place for spirituality in politics there's no place for um spirituality in you know the revolution and whatnot um it's yeah their their belief systems are still heavily as you said impacted by um, the, the kind of Christian hegemony, but also capitalist hegemony and mm-hmm. um, just basic ideas uh, like Western ideas of progress and development and, and things like that, right? Um, which is why I think that a lot of, um, you know, like I said, visions for the future that a lot of leftists come up with um, won't have reciproc- reciprocity at the core of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, won't have kind of uh, practices that, <laughs> that aren't just purely based on the, the material and democratizing workplaces, but keeping production and, and everything else the same. Um, and, you know, we're not just, I don't know, we're, we're complex beings. We're not just, we're not just beings that need to work and eat and sleep and, and that's it, mm-hmm. right? Like we have emotions, we have thoughts, we have all this capacity to, to connect to the world around us and to these, um, you know, feelings, even, just even within us, but also then, you know, uh, outwardly into the universe. So yeah, I think it's very limiting <laughs> um, the mm-hmm. way that we talk about spirituality. Um, or we don't talk about spirituality on the left. But yeah, I just wanted to bring that up, that that it is really a false dichotomy and that the spiritual is political um, and the political is is uh, spiritual or it can be. Um, and then another thing in terms of like the values versus ideology thing, I honestly feel like, and I can't remember who who said this quote, but it was something like, you know, books or theory don't make people into leftists. Um, empathy makes people into leftists. And I feel like that's truly where kind of I began, um, you know, like when I was a kid, just having those visceral feelings of like, this is unjust or having empathy for people and being like, this is not okay with me, right? And I don't, I'm not okay with the way that things are. Um, and um, I don't know, I guess I could, I guess, talk about my my spiritual journey now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in a... Well, we weren't really, I mean, my parents were never super religious. Um, I think my Nana is, and my Nona went to church every week. So I guess he was fairly religious, um, but uh, but it was Catholic, um, a Catholic 
household and family or whatnot. Um, so we went to church when we were kids because my parents wanted to expose us to it. So we went up until like first communion. Um, but I don't know, I guess I was a child and I'm not sure if the sermons that I was receiving were just not <laughs> that radical, but I had a really hard time connecting with it. Um, and I mean, again, I was probably a child and I was bored and it kind of felt like a history lesson or something, but I had a hard time connecting with um, the idea of an anthropomorphic God. Um, and, but uh, I was very spiritual, even from a young age, even though I wasn't really aware of it then, or I wouldn't have called it spirituality then, but um, I had a lot of spiritual connection to um, I guess nature or, you know, being out alone in nature. Like that's when I would really have these really, deep feelings that now I, I would recognize as being spiritual um, of just, you know, deeply connecting um, and deeply kind of feeling myself as this kind of like loving conscious awareness that was connected to the, the broader kind of universe and not, not separate from it. Um, and I was also born on Halloween. So I was very into, you know, ghosts and spirits and kind of <laughs> the occult or, or other things that were, you know, immaterial or spiritual. Um, but it wasn't until I was, I guess, in my later teens um, that I really got into Buddhist philosophy. Um, and I was, I guess, for context, just a really, really depressed child <laughs> um, and depressed kid. Um, I'm realizing now I've actually started learning a lot more about autism and autism in girls. And I'm realizing that um, I probably was and then just just or am and just was never diagnosed. And that kind of explains a lot of um, the issues that I was having and the feelings I was having. But anyway, I like I a theory that like YouTubers are like way more likely to be autistic than the general population. <laughs> I would believe that. I would definitely, yeah, I think that you're onto something there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I was, I was just honestly a ball of self-sabotage. I was, I had a very, very anxious attachment style. I developed very codependent relationships with, with fairly toxic people. And I mean, I was fairly toxic myself, to be honest, because I was just a, a mess of emotion and, um, uh, insecurity and anger and depression. And, um, I developed a very extreme eating disorder. Um, and you know, I was suicidal for, you know, several points in my life. Um, and, uh, a friend of mine was really into studying world religions and, um, kind of turned me on to Buddhist philosophy. And then honestly reading that, like everything just clicked. Um, it just, it really, it's, I know it sounds so cliche and ridiculous, but to say that it changed my life, but it really, really did because it changed, it changed my relationship with myself um, and the way that I understood my thoughts, my emotions, um, uh, I guess the nature of reality, the nature of my place in the world and things like that. So it really changed how I um, showed up and moved through the world. Um, and I feel like it also really fed into my politics in a way that was really helpful for me because um, at the time, um, you know, I, again, I, I didn't like the way that things are. I kind of felt like there was something wrong kind of innately. I was kind of this counterculture kid that was into like ad busters and things like that. And I was broadly anti-capitalist, but I didn't have a lot of the language and I wasn't really connected. I was kind of living in, you know, Normieville where <laughs> it was like not really okay to talk about that stuff. Um, 
but yeah, just a lot of the, the messaging that, and the values, I guess the values, um, that I took from that philosophy just really, really fed into, um, my politics, like issue, like ideas of, you know, generosity, selflessness, um, like ego death, um, uh, and just the focus on how the pursuits that we usually think of as, you know, desirable in kind of Western capitalist culture, um, that those are actually harmful delusions <laughs> that uh, will lead you further and further away from happiness, right? And I, I just really felt all of that. Um, and so, yeah, that was really, really amazing for me. And, um, you know, it's taken, um, I, like I got into, you know, like spiritual practice and meditation and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but I never really, yeah, I never really wanted to talk publicly about it because, you know, cultural appropriation, um, there's so many white women who appropriate all of this stuff um, or Hinduism and things like that. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, watching your videos also really challenged me to think about like what it was that was driving me towards this stuff, you know? Um, cause I was really impressed by, um, yeah, just all of your thoughts around, um, like ancestral accountability and the importance of not distancing, distancing yourself from your own tradition. Um, and so yeah, I guess it's still just a constant struggle because it's like, well, I was drawn to this stuff um, because it really, really resonated with me. And it's since then I've kind of developed a practice. It's not like I really follow a specific, you know, Buddhist tradition or whatnot. It's mostly just the philosophy. And then I've kind of developed like my own practice and worldview um, that also connects with um, you know, the connection that I feel with nature and, um, my want to deal with anthropocentrism and things like that. But, um, yeah, I guess it, it, it is, it is something that I don't, you know, I don't usually bring up because it's like, oh, another white woman <laughs> appropriating Buddhist philosophy. Um, you know, yeah, I yeah. feel that. And I feel like for a lot of, I mean, like we're both white people and I feel like, um, both of us probably have majority white viewership. And so like speaking, I guess, like from that perspective, like I feel like there is a huge amount of shame in white people a lot of the time to be open about like any spiritual thing. And it's like, for me, like I've experienced that similarly of like, um, like I guess like shame around talking about spiritual stuff not necessarily from a place of like fear of kind of like looking like another white Buddhist kind of thing, but even like I was involved in um, a lot of like paganism and like tried to get involved in the Wiccan church at one point when I was younger. Um, and paganism was kind of like my first um, spiritual like entry point when I was very, very young, like a child. And um I, I've spent, like, I don't really like the term paganism personally, because I feel like it's, it's way too vague and doesn't actually refer to anything specific. Um, but I feel like since getting, A, getting involved in the church, I've been like, oh my God, like people judging me for being Christian. I know that Christian hegemony is real and that is not something that exists in more conservative spaces maybe, but definitely like on the left, people cringe and roll their eyes when you say that you're involved in the church. and having to kind of explain myself 
um, to other white people mostly for my decisions there. Um, and then as I've been getting involved in more ancestral, like pre-Christian ancestral stuff, which is actually kind of the majority of my spiritual work that I've been doing right now, um, I feel like that is cringe as well because like I look at things online and it's like everybody's got like a Celtic tattoo and <laughs> a lot of people aren't aware of kind of like the the politics of like identifying for example like identifying as an Irish person or identifying as a Scottish person when you're somebody who's like never been to that place like mm-hmm. um or like I don't know like I feel like I have had anxiety about like culturally appropriating my own ancestral traditions even um which I honestly do think is like a real thing that is possible to do mm-hmm. um just like it's re- it's possible to disrespectfully engage with any spiritual tradition and having in a like an ancestral claim to it doesn't necessarily mean that your relationship to it is respectful um is kind of like what I mean by that mm-hmm. but um yeah, I'm glad that you brought you brought the Buddhism thing because I mean, as my viewers kind of may know, um, like I have been critical of white involvement in Buddhism, but I feel like I kind of need to develop on that or expand upon that because I also that was kind of like the first video that I ever made when I was like beginning this like ancestry is important. Maybe we should think about that um, thing and. I kind of have like come to this place where I'm like ancestry and spiritual traditions and everything is so complicated and there is no like clean cut there's no clean cut like this is my ancestry and this is my spiritual tradition or practice or um something like that like there like everything in human history has been affected by migration has been affected by power dynamics has been affected by imperialism has been affected by all kinds of different moving parts and i don't like even though for me personally like i do think that grounding my spiritual practices in a process of trying to re-traditionalize to my biological ancestry, I don't think that that is necessarily the only path or the path that is accessible to, to everyone. I mean, I'm also in a position of privilege of knowing what my ancestry is and knowing where my, um, you know, people came from. There's a lot of people who are in positions where they don't even know what their ancestry was, even going back one or two generations. And so that's something that's just not accessible for everyone. Um, and then also, like, I feel like the idea that we should only ever engage with spiritual traditions that are in our biological ancestry, like, I feel like taking that to the nth degree can also get into some really friggin' hairy politics. Um, yeah. <laughs> really sketchy um, yeah. stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. and definitely, like, all forms of um you know like uh neo or like kind of like celtic revivalism and norse revivalism and like stuff like that obviously is steeped in white supremacy just like mm-hmm. the church is steeped in white supremacy and like any spiritual tradition that's predominantly white people is going to have its like wing if not dominant faction of white supremacy mm-hmm. um and so i definitely don't want to like feed into that of like everybody go back where you came from which like I feel like it's like a direction you could go in with that Mm -hmm. um 
So I do think that, you know, people having spiritual traditions or participating in spiritual practices that are from other places in the world that aren't necessarily correlated to their ancestry is something that has been happening in human history for all of human history. Like people, Mm -hmm. there have always been people in the world who have participated in practices that were not of their like biological ancestry, whether that has been through fostering or migration or a number of different things. And I so and so I think that the the most important thing for me is just that we are not using the cultures of other people to kind of spiritually bypass the work that we need to do or to spiritually bypass accountability. Like I don't have to think about my legacy as a mm. white person because I'm a Buddhist, which I know yeah. is obviously not your approach to things. So <laughs> um or like you know what I mean, that kind of consumerist cherry picking um just like mentality that some people can approach certain things with and so I feel like I have been broadly critical of white involvement with Buddhism not because I'm trying to like create some sort of like grand narrative of like this is something nobody should ever do um because I know several white Buddhists whose engagement with that practice is very very respectful and very very informed by you know having their like mind and heart in the right place um but I feel like I just I want people to to always be second guessing themselves or to always be um, like critical of their motivations for things. And just like in my experience, I feel like I have also seen like so many people and not just in Buddhism, but in many other things like white people getting involved in the spiritual traditions of other people for reasons that I was critical of, or maybe that's presumptuous of me, but um, just that I feel like looking towards our own tradition sometimes isn't even seen as an option. Like it's not even something that's like on the table of like things to explore for white mm-hmm. people. And I think that there's a number of different reasons behind that of kind of like shame and avoidance and feeling like if you distance yourself from your cultural practices, then you're distancing yourself from colonialism, which obviously we're not. Like whether or not I identify as a Christian or not, I'm involved in it. Whether or not you identify as mm-hmm. Christian or any of your like ancestral traditions we're still implicated in these Mm -hmm. things and I think that that's kind of the important place to or the the important thing to be acknowledging in whatever we're doing Mm -hmm. um and then I also just like made some notes of like things that have come up that I wanted to like circle back to if that's okay so um I remember like you were talking about the left kind of like lacking a like spiritual ideology or like a spiritual like cohesion that will allow us to like vision for a future that is actually sustainable and equitable and not anthropocentric and not just replicating kind of like capitalist values or values that are inspired by Christianity, scientism and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I also wanted to say that like, I feel like cross-cultural and like in like inter-religious relationships are kind of like really important for that like I don't think that I know this wasn't what you meant by that at all but yeah I don't think that the left is ever going to have like a cohesive spiritual ideology or practice but I think that for me personally like as a spiritual person or somebody who has like a spiritual religious practice I find it easier to relate to people who have a spiritual practice regardless of what that is like some of my Mm. closest friends are Jewish people not to be like my closest friends but yeah you know what I mean some of the people that I have the best conversations about this kind of thing with are Jewish people indigenous people um Muslim people like people of different traditions 
but we all get the necessity. Like we all get the necessity of having that um, access addressed and cared for in our lives. Um, and so I find it so much easier to talk to people and to organize with people who have a spiritual tradition, regardless of what that tradition is, rather than organize with people who think that that is just like totally off the table, who don't even like think about that subject. I'm not here to just like, you know, shit on atheists or whatever. Um, but it's just like atheism is a spiritual ideology. And I just would appreciate more for that to be acknowledged as such, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, I, there's some other stuff I want to say, but we can move on with the conversation. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, yeah, thank you for that. I definitely um, don't think that the left will ever have one cohesive thing, but I mean, even just individually as a leftist, for, for you yourself to have a cohesive kind of um, spiritual worldview kind of touch point or practice um, that you engage with is definitely, I think, I don't know, I, it's been important for me. And in the, just, just on a practical level, like if you're coming to community organizing or political organizing, um, and you haven't, you don't have a relationship with yourself. Um, you know, you, you haven't addressed things like ego, machismo, um, I don't know, trauma that you can maybe externalize onto other people. It just makes it very difficult to actually organize and to organize in a way or to come up with solutions that won't replicate the same hierarchies that we want to fight. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm also really glad that you brought up like that video. I was so grateful for where you totally did you know um, you know challenge white Buddhists to think about <laughs> what is it that that is drawing you to this you know are you trying to distance yourself from this thing that you can't be distanced from um, and things like that. So I've definitely yeah it's definitely something that I think about and grapple with. Um, and I mean I don't think that's what initially drew me to it because at the time. Um, it was mostly, it was mostly kind of about my own inner development. And then, um, and then I soon kind of realized the the political import of it. Um, and so uh, that's part of why I don't really talk that much about it, because I feel like if it's just an, an, an um, you know, a deeply personal thing or a practice that I do for myself and within myself, then, um, then I don't feel that bad, <laughs> you know, better. I, I don't feel like I'm really, um, a, like if I was going out and trying to teach it and make money off of it and have classes and have people be like, come listen to me, this white Buddhist or whatever. Um, I feel like that would be a huge problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, because of that, I've also been inspired um, from you to look into my own ancestral tradition. And I'm also really glad that you brought up this idea of feeling like, am I just appropriating my own tradition now? Um, because, uh, so I guess, I, I don't know if, I don't think I mentioned this at the, the, the top of the episode, but um, yeah, my background is half Italian, half Lithuanian. Um, and you sent me really awesome podcasts, uh, Fair Folk podcast that we can link below if people are interested if you are also Lithuanian. Um, but it was really interesting because um, apparently Lithuania was one of the last places in Europe to be kind of Christianized. And so they've actually maintained a lot of the um, their kind of indigenous ancestral pagan traditions and songs and practices. Um, and so it was really, really fascinating learning about all of that. And it was really interesting because the host, um, Danica, is from Canada, um, and throughout the whole thing, they're really grappling with um, this idea of belonging and, you know, I don't know, do I have the permission to be here? Um, 
And this kind of idea that, you know, in Canada as settlers, this whole project of whiteness is just completely, you know, totalizing, it erases all, all of our cultural tradition. And then so a lot of white people obviously end up feeling like this need for belonging or this need for a tradition or whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and so her kind of grappling with, um, you know, I'm not from this place, this isn't my tradition and just feeling kind of out of place or whatnot. Um, but at the end, I actually wrote this down because I wanted to read it. It was really, it really spoke to me because, you know, for me, I was fascinated by, by learning all this stuff and I was really excited about it because I didn't really know that much about my heritage, but I also kind of felt um, I guess how she felt, even though my background is Lithuanian, um, I've never been to Lithuania, <laughs> you know, I've never been to Italy. Um, so for me to adopt kind of these kind of practices and ideas, even though a lot of them are very resonant with the spiritual beliefs that I already hold, um, um, especially kind of the the relationship with, with the land um, and, you know, things like that. Uh, yeah, it, it, I do kind of have this feeling of like, is that still appropriative, right? Is that any mm. any less appropriative than like my connection with Buddhism kind of thing? Um, but she said this at the end, and I just wanted to read it. Um, so she's talking about this idea of kind of spiritual permission. Um, and obviously, appropriation is a real thing. But she says that no one can really withhold that from you. The moment you dedicate yourself to the moment, the place where you are right now, um, and she said, you know, this hill, the sincere gathering, because that's where she was. Um, that's when the ritual comes about. Tradition isn't about belonging. Um, we humans already belong to the earth. We're built of the soil, water, fire, and sky. And so instead of asking, where do I belong? Ask, how do I belong? How do I connect? Um, and just kind of elaborating on this idea that belonging is actually active and not passive. And it's where you show up and offer sincere devotion. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was just like, okay, so that really then clicked for me, especially as a settler, because I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm a settler in this place. I'm trying to look for my tradition. I already have kind of a spiritual practice that is, you know, kind of appropriative. Um, although I will say that the one, like one main thing that really drew me to Buddhism was that there was a real focus, like everything that I was reading was like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter you know, where you're from, it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have to go to temple. You don't have to do any practices. Um, this is a philosophy. Like, it's not about just, just belief or it's not about, okay, we believe in this deity. These are our stories or whatever. It's here's a philosophy. Now see if it's true for you. Like if you want, you need to go see if it's true for you, go meditate, go think on it, go feel if this, if this is true. And then through, you know, meditation and um, contemplation and whatever you kind of end up realizing, oh shit, yeah, this philosophy is really great, you know? Um, and so not, not to say that like people can't appropriate it in, um, in so many ways or that, no, I'm not doing that myself. Um, but I think that is one thing that drew me to it was that it's like, well, it's a philosophy of being. And so if it resonates with you, right, then it can resonate with you, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, where was I? Oh yeah, so as a settler, yeah, um, you know, um, uh, that kind of flicked with me that I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm over here. Um, what does it mean to show up here where I am with sincere devotion? What does it mean mm -hmm. to like actively belong here um, and get into right relationship with the land and people here, you know? Um, and that's kind of an open it. Like that's, I feel like up, up to now, my spiritual practice has largely been 
I guess, internal and then, um, you know, affecting, I guess, how I relate with others um, and, and my thoughts and on um, politics more broadly, but I feel like this is where it needs to grow into, right? Like that's the big mm -hmm. question. That's the big practice of like bringing that here and making it meaningful here in whatever way mm -hmm. possible. Yeah. Um, the idea of like having a respectful relationship with your own ancestral culture and like anxiety about that being appropriative or appropriate or what like is something that I've been really struggling with since I started along this like ancestral reconnection kind of path because um, I know that there's like this kind of, there's like an indigenous concept of nationality that's very much like, it's not about who you claim, it's about who claims you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's pretty universally applicable in a lot of ways. And so like, it's one thing for me to say, like I'm a Scottish person or I'm an Irish person, um, which I'm not really because like I'm more, ident I identify myself as somebody of Scottish and Irish descent or a Scottish and Irish ancestry, but I'm not a Scottish or Irish person because I don't, I don't live in those lands. I didn't grow up in those lands. Um, and so, and I know that there's actually like a lot of, not universally, but there's, there is, you know, some resentment from Irish people and Scottish people and other people who still live in those places for settlers coming back and kind of like really wanting to like identify themselves with and engage them in like that culture without having done any of the work and also that there are different material conditions that people are living under like a lot of people who came to Turtle Island as settlers were able to access a sort of wealth or class mobility that people who stayed on the aisles like were not able to access and so in some ways there is you know social strife and poverty and stuff like that that are uncommon for not uncommon but the class situation is different um on turtle for white people on turtle island versus people in europe a lot of the time mm -hmm. um not to say that europe is a particularly poor place in general but you know what i mean like the social context is different and i think with, that we need to engage with that and um like i'm not I'm not really claimed by my ancestry. Like, you know what I mean? Like most of my living ancestors are settlers in Canada. Um, I do have living ancestors. Like I've been to the Isles once in my life to, vis to visit England and Scotland. And so I have relatives in England, but as far as my like Scottish ancestry, like that's mostly on my dad's side. And my dad has, my dad's family have been settlers here for upwards of five generations. Um, so that's been complicated for me to engage with as well and yeah I feel like it it is about like the the earnestness of it to a certain extent like are you doing this for some sort of like clout or like selfish kind of like reason or are you doing it because it's something that you really feel earnestly motivated to do and that you will engage with the challenges of that, not just the benefits of it. And I think that it's never simple. Like something that I've had to kind of reconcile myself to over and over again is that I am never going to come to a spiritual place that feels clean cut. Like I'm never going to come to a place where I'm like, I've figured it out. This is my identity. These are my roles and responsibilities. And this is my spiritual practice. Like, cause no one has like, as, a, as white settlers on Turtle Island, I don't think anybody has reach that and I've like read 
stuff about that that we are kind of like maybe it's a like inappropriate analogy or something like that but an analogy I've heard used is that we are like an orphaned people Mm. that we like don't really have a connection to or like as like on mass anyway not speaking as individuals but on mass we don't really have a connection to the land here we don't have stories here when we're talking about the importance of narrative and creation stories Mm -hmm. and we don't have a like most of us don't have a claim to or don't have active relationships with our ancestors back in the places where our ancestors came from so um a lot of us are just struggling and grasping for something like grasping for roots basically in a place where we don't necessarily have roots and I feel like sometimes the like clean answer to that is like go back where you came from which obviously is politically regardless of who you apply that to that's never a good answer like (laughs) um and I'm not telling that to indigenous people to like talk about like how they approach their um like their opinions on what decolonization looks like, but just like speaking from my perspective, like A, I've like never been told that everybody going back where they came from is like a realistic decolonization practice. And B, there is not, like just speaking practically, there's not enough room. There's not enough physical room on the aisles, just speaking from my perspective, for all of the diaspora to go back there because the diaspora population is larger than the native population um, when it comes to like Scotland and Ireland. And so that's not, that's not practical. And I think that's something that I've had to really engage with is that we are a different people now. And um, like maybe the identity of like Canadian or American or things like that are not like, those are, those are not like filler identities either. Um, But definitely I think by being like a multi-generational settler on Turtle Island, I am not the same people as my ancestors who are from the British Isles, who were Celtic or whatever else they were. Um, and that is something that we really need to engage with. Um, and I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Like I don't have an answer for, for who I am or who we are, if you and I can even be said to be part of the same. <laughs> like, it, it's strange because I almost feel like whiteness has been a form of like ethnogenesis, which which it has been. But it's like, even though I want to be going back to my culture, and I know like a lot of white settlers for whom, with whom I share no ancestral connection. Mm-hmm. We come from very different places in Europe or places that are very geographically different and whose traditions are very different. Um, But it's just like on Turtle Island, I undeniably have more in common with other people who are identified as white in this political context, regardless of what our ancestry is. And so that's been like a complicated thing to engage with of like the fact that a whiteness isn't real, but also it is real, like, you know what I mean? And so, because like my social and political and spiritual context is so similar to yours, even though we are not of the same, like ancestry and arguably are not of the same like ethnicity when we're talking about white ethnic like ethnicity is classified under whiteness you and I are not even of the same ethnic group mm-hmm. um and so mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't I don't really have an answer for that yeah. um but I think that that's something that I've been really really trying to engage with and struggle with and I think that I'm just going to be struggling with it for my entire life because mm-hmm. 
even though like I could theoretically just like save up the money somehow throughout my life and like uproot myself and move back to Scotland like I don't think that that's an accountable thing to do because like I said kind of like with regards to the church like I am implicated in colonialism here and I'm implicated in the settler social context here and I don't really want to absolve myself of that like I don't really want to just like look for something that's pure and clean and simple and easy to deal with and move myself towards that I want to deal with whatever is going on where I am Mm -hmm. and like growing up as a settler I feel more um like more capable of dealing with like helping to deal with settler colonialism here both through working with other settlers and working in allyship or solidarity with indigenous people like that is a social context I'm more equipped to deal with through my life experience here than like if I moved to the Isles like what would I even do there I don't even know what their social problems are there like I don't even know what the political context is there um so it would benefit me it wouldn't benefit the people on Turtle Island and it wouldn't benefit the people on the Isles either for me to just kind of Mm -hmm seek a simple solution like that Mm -hmm. and the thing is too is that like regardless of whether this like the politics around it like factually and like this is maybe like a messy thing to say or like I don't really know how to say this in a good way or uh, I, I hope that my intention comes across but like I am like made of the land here Mm-hmm. And like people who grew up on this land are made of the land here. Like I, mm-hmm. my body is made of the water here. My body is made of the food that I've eaten that have been grown here. Like I have developed relationships to and acclimatized to this land space um, and have made commitments to this land space throughout my life. And so I feel like the relationships that we build in this life are just as important if not in some situations more important than our like ancestral place and like not everybody even has a homeland so what I'm sorry that I like you didn't even ask me about the homeland thing but I'm like bringing (laughs) it up um but not everybody even has like a homeland where they can think of like like just speaking as settlers to like envision or fantasize going back to some place um like Jewish people or nomadic people there's lots of other nomadic peoples who are now existing on settler um like in a settler status on Turtle Island and so I feel like we just kind of have to deal with that and like even part of you know when we first came here there were covenants made nobody ever said like get back in the boat and turn around they said these are the conditions under which you will be allowed to live here and obviously all of that has been violated and all of that has been grossly mismanaged and there has been so much unspeakable violence that has happened but the it kind of still stands that those are the terms and conditions of our existence here Mm -hmm. and it's not that necessary and again this is me speaking as a settler not speaking on as any kind of authority on indigenous perspectives but it's kind of like my understanding that it's not that we're not allowed to be here, but it's that if we're going to be here, we have to be here with a certain amount of like roles and responsibilities and accountability. And that is what I want to focus on doing, like both being accountable as a settler and being and working towards decolonization in a real way, both through my spiritual practices and through like materially how I show up in the world, organizing where I'm putting my time and money and efforts mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, same. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, I know I'm sure a lot of indigenous people have varying perspectives on this, but um, my ind indigenous colleagues um, always describe decolonization to me as learning to live in the nations that you actually inhabit. Um, and then, as you said, like honoring the treaties, which are really the only things that are, are allowing us to be here, right? Like if we're disrespecting the treaties, we're basically ripping up our own land deeds, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which is something we haven't really reckoned with at all. Um, but no, yeah, and, and this is why Robin Wall Kimmerer, again, um, her concept of becoming indigenous to place was so powerful to me um, because that's something that I felt like, yes, like that's, that's, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to figure out. Um, because like you said, I do also have a, I feel like I have a very strong connection to this, this land, like the actual land here. Um, and yeah, especially in, in certain places in, in Ontario, um, you know, close to where I grew up. Um, and for a long time, I was very, um, I don't know, I, I guess maybe I was searching for something like I, I wanted to just travel, I wanted to be this kind of nomad that didn't stay in one place, I wanted to get out of Ontario as soon as possible and move somewhere else, um, kind of anywhere else. Um, but I don't know, as I got older, I kind of realized that no, I actually really do have a tie to the land here. Um, and as you said, in terms of being accountable as a settler, and actually, um, working to, um, you know, live decolonization into practice. That's something that I need to learn to do here. Um, but when I was listening to the Lithuanian kind of podcast, I was also thinking about um, Robin Wall Kimmerer and becoming Indigenous to Place because the host, Danica, was asking about, you know, there's a lot of pagans in Canada who um, are trying to, or they want to know how to revive a tradition um, when so much of it has been lost or severed or things like that. Um, and it was really interesting listening to that priest, I guess, um, the, um, the host did an interview with um, kind of a, a priest in the tradition there. Um, and he was talking about how, you know, well, you know, in the land that you live, uh, there are kind of ancestral traditions, but obviously they're not your traditions. Um, but then he started to, to basically say that um, there are actually a lot of parallels with our traditions, our values, and not our traditions, I guess, but our, our values and um, our thoughts or our, kind of our worldview and the worldview of the first peoples of Turtle Island, where you're from. And I just kind of was thinking about that when you were talking about, you know, you and I, like, do we even have anything um, in common kind of ancestrally or spiritually? Um, but I think even in the places that you were from, if you go far back enough, right, um, to kind of those ancestral traditions, I'm sure that in so many ways, they would have a lot of um, things in common in terms of, you know, values and traditions and things like that, um, where, yeah, it, it is really about just right relationship with ourselves, others, and the land. Um, and I think the advice that they gave to Danica was basically that um, it's it's about the community, right? Like, if you are in community, um, and I guess you know, uh, dedicating yourself to the moment and, and whatnot, then like the rituals can arise through that communal engagement. Um, and I just found that really interesting because a lot of their traditions are rooted in song. And, um, but it was really like the song, it's something that you do in community, right? Like um, that's how it comes alive. And so I, I was just kind of thinking about that um, and feeling like, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's the way forward, like, like, you know, like whatever community that I'm forming, um, you know, maybe we can develop kind of 
rituals or kind of uh, align our values and kind of create practice and things like that um, in the place that we are like aligning ourselves and kind of like our minds with this broader goal and like this, I don't know, like spiritual mm-hmm. desire and things like that. Um, so yeah, I just thought maybe I would offer that because those are things that I was thinking about. And I mean, again, I think that's something I'm going to be struggling with for my whole life too. Like what does it mean to become indigenous to place as a settler um, mm-hmm. in a way that isn't either replicating, um, you know, colonial power imbalances or appropriating or whatnot, right? Um, especially when it comes to the land and like the relationship I have with the land. Um, but recognizing that, you know, my my existence on it or, you know, like the land, like the the house that my parents own and whatnot is, you know, directly implicated in dispossessing people who live, you know, just that mm-hmm. whole thing. So I think it's, yeah, a lifelong project, but I was kind of inspired um, and excited about that kind of idea of bringing things to light within community um and having that be enough for like a ritual to come about you know i don't Mm -hmm. know totally and i think that it's it's really unfortunate because it's like i think that there is something really powerful in like organic and respectful and horizontal cultural exchange and i think that the reasons why like a lot of like the complicated like, I feel like I've heard that perspective from people who are doing retraditionalization work in places in Europe or on the Isles. A lot of like, well, our traditions have so much in common with North American indigenous traditions or Turtle Island indigenous traditions. So there should be a connection made there. And part of me is like, yes, but part of me is also like, I feel like sometimes people who are speaking from the European perspective don't have a full emotional grasp of like the amount of trauma Mm-hmm. and trail that's involved mm-hmm. in that and so that's something that I struggle with and I think that like a lot of settlers struggle with is like there is so much that we have learned from indigenous people already like so much in even just the development of democracy and medicinal knowledge and land work like the whole field of permaculture like there's so much that we have mm-hmm. learned from and in some ways taken from indigenous culture and I'm always like, it's always a question of like, how do we do that in a way that's respectful? How do we do that in a way that's not repli- replicating colonial relationships? And that's not something that I have an answer to either. I think um, it's honestly just land back. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, I think it's honestly just like, because the, like, I, I'm, I don't know, I don't want to talk too much about the project that I'm working on, but um like the the whole goal of it is um, to basically facilitate indigenous land conservation, um, where you know indigenous people are like have sovereignty over the land and are able to make decisions and conserve the land based on their own laws and um, in in line with their their cultural traditions and whatnot. Um, and so the goal is to um, I guess strengthen. Um, indigenous knowledge in all of these kind of spheres but but to have it led by indigenous people right so i feel like if we were if there was land back and thing and the land was being managed by indigenous people mm-hmm. um and because i think it becomes because i think it's impossible it's really uh, yeah it's impossible i think for a settler to practice I'm, I'm not saying i'm not suggesting that anyone should be practicing um you know like indigenous traditions but i'm you know i, I think it's impossible for a settler to i guess like grapple with um yeah, the stuff that we've learned from indigenous people and, and the similarities between maybe my ancestral tradition and um, the traditions here when 
we're still on the land and we're in charge of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're not actually living, um, like the laws governing this land are not the indigenous laws that should be governing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that I've experienced as well. Like I've been learning about um, a big thing for me, like actually probably one of the most important things that I've done that I've only started doing recently with regards to ancestral reconnection has been learning traditional stories um, and learning like traditional stories from Scotland. Um, I got this book called, it's actually my laptop is propped up on it called Scottish Myths and Legends by Daniel Allison. And that book has been like so eye-opening to me and so like heart-opening to me reading about these like traditional stories, a lot of which are like pre-Christian stories. Um, not all, like there's also folk stories that are post-Christian, but um, yeah, that's been really, really eye-opening to me. And I've had that experience as well of like seeing the like indigenous nature of those stories um, in, in regards to the fact that like indigenous cultures kind of around the world tend to share a certain philosophical Thread, like certain philosophical threads or trends, um, like any animistic or like earth honoring tradition. And yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that, but just like <laughs> grappling with that and trying to be like, how do I approach these similarities and acknowledge like the amount of knowledge that I get from indigenous people, even the indigenous people, like just in my life directly, um, without kind of like, I don't know, having that reflected in the power relationship or having that influenced by the power relationship, which it undeniably or like unavoidably is. But I feel like something for me is that, I guess just like as like a personal aside or like example is that like, I tend to just like not want to like brag, I guess, or like kind of like be super open about the like indigenous solidarity work that I'm doing or like my involvement with community because I think that it's really easy as a settler to like gain like clout points or like gain some sort of social capital for like, I'm working with these plant medicines and I'm like doing this work and like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to have any sort of like social existence where I'm trying to position myself as like a good white person who's really like doing the work. (laughs) (laughs) And even though like, I don't know, like I am like doing the work, but I don't want to be like, I don't know, having some sort of like thing based on doing the work I don't know um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah I don't know it's so it's so like complicated and I feel like so much like as I'm as we're like talking about this like I feel like so much of just like everything with regards to the spiritual challenges that white settlers have is like wrapped up in shame like to kind of like circle back to the things we were talking about before like um not wanting to get involved in our ancestral practices is like rooted in shame, but then not wanting to be open or even fully invested in the practices we are drawn towards is also rooted in shame and not wanting to, um, you know, develop a land relationship. Like we feel so alienated from the land. And then we also almost like feel ashamed to develop those relationships and ashamed to like honor those relationships and it's almost like I feel like a lot of the time the things that we are ashamed of or the things that we're like ashamed to do are the things that we like most need to do mm-hmm. um, with regards to like owning our ancestry owning our spiritual traditions and our spiritual lives like owning our responsibilities owning our land relationships and not and really like fighting that that shame or that fear um and 
I don't know, I guess that's something that like maybe gets a little bit easier just through that process of like spiritual deepening of like, I feel like, like I'm working on a video right now, my software has crashed, it's taken me over a month to work on this, but I'm working on a video right now about like interconnectedness. And I feel like when I kind of like came to that place of like understanding or like beginning to understand interconnectedness, that was like such a weight off my shoulders of like no longer trying to be like, what are the implications of like everything that I'm doing and like what is everybody going to think of me and things like that and just kind of focus on like I am a person of this social position and you know that is valid and what like assuming we're all parts of the same body what does somebody in my position need to be doing to benefit the rest of the body kind of thing and understanding that like regardless I'm I'm never going to be completely approved of by anyone. Like I'm never going to receive the universal approval of other white people for my spiritual approach or my decolonization work. I'm never going to receive the universal approval of indigenous people. I'm never going to receive the uni universal approval of any group. And all I can kind of do is like give it up to God, I guess, and like make sure that I feel right with my own self and my morals and like the people that I'm in relationship with um, and people that I have like good faith connections with and understand that, I don't know, the shame and the messiness and the criticism and all of that is just going to be part of the process for my entire life and having unanswered questions and things like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I wanted to take that's a, maybe a good moment to just speak to the audience and say that like we are both very open to criticism. These oh, yes. <laughs> again, like we're two settlers kind of grappling with these topics. So if we've said anything that you feel was not great or that you would like to add to or maybe contribute to, or maybe if you have ideas on, um, you know, our, our, uh, um, our, you know, our struggles or our attempts to, you know, ground ourselves and become indigenous to place and um, live in, in greater reciprocity here, then we are very open to hearing them. Please um, share those respectfully, please, in, you know, in the comments. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say that, that, you know, we're very, again, open to criticism on any and all of this, right? But um, I think it's a really important conversation to have. And I think that I just don't see any conversations like this on the online left happening, frankly. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I don't know, just bringing it back to shame. I feel like a lot of people are thinking, about, I, I personally feel like a lot of people are thinking about this, even like the very kind of like STEM Lord, like science bro left is still like having these like nagging feelings in the back of their minds, like late at night and maybe we're just like not there with like getting to the conversation. But I think like the thing for me, like I'm so glad that we're having this conversation and I'm almost like, I'm kind of in the place with where I'm kind of like, I'd rather just be having the conversation. And like, even if the things that we're saying are not perfect and even yeah. if, like, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot to learn about and there's a lot to build upon, like the importance of just the fact that I'm willing to engage with it and the fact that you're willing to engage with it and then we can, like once we start that work, we can kind of move there, mm -hmm. um, I think is something I would like to see the like leftist community move towards of like this is the conversation we're willing to have and we're gonna start having it and we'll work on it from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.